This Life app is looking at how we can live above the bad news. I call this the T-squared app, where we can explore our triggers and transposition to live above the bad news. So let's start with understanding our triggers. If we actively monitor and manage these four triggers, we can be better prepared to live with or above the inevitable bad news that's gonna come. A first trigger is speed. When we move too fast, we can put ourselves at major risk of even the smallest piece of bad news derailing us. A second trigger is stress. Stress comes in so many forms. It's always looking for a way into our psyche. When we allow the stress to build up, we become a powder keg, ready to explode at the smallest of sparks. A third trigger is rest, or lack thereof. I know in my own life that when I'm tired and the batteries are low, that it doesn't take much to get under my skin and then pull me down. It's an obvious trigger which we all can manage. The final trigger I'd like to talk about is our fueling. Need I say more than why the word hangry gets used in commercials and in common language today? We know that when we're fueled incorrectly, that we're way more susceptible to emotional lapses and therefore any bad news can cause us to spiral out of control. So if we can know and control our triggers, then what we can do to experience the other part of our T-squared app, a transposition of our lives, is important to be able to live fully and abundantly when the bad news surrounds us and awaits us. I wanna suggest that we can create this transposition by using this displacement exercise. Let's take a look. Here's a glass vase that represents the experiences of our lives. Let's see how we can fill it up. Let's start with these large rocks of Bible reading, prayer time, accountability and fellowship time, church time, and then filled with our gravel or the smaller rocks, faith-based or redeeming books, redeeming and positive movies and television, daily devotionals, some friend time, personal and physical exercises, strengthening time, and then adding our sand, inspirational music and radio, redeeming and positive podcast, if you will, or maybe even redeeming and positive magazines and online sites. And ultimately, our water, uplifting, encouraging conversations. And what is left over is a life transposition with not a lot of room left for bad news to make much of a difference. This doesn't mean that we can bury our heads in the sand and ignore where we must be open, accepting, and ready to help others when the bad news hits. But if we understand how to manage our triggers and are daily working on our transposition, then our T-squared Life app can help us live above any and all bad news. All right. Oh, blessings towards all of you. And, um, you know, I'm going to come back around and talk a little bit about what Rusty shared and, and connect back to it. <clears throat> I do want to remind everybody that we're heading into the special season. We've got Thanksgiving not too far away. We've got a, a tradition in the church last 20 years or so. <clears throat> We've been uh, having a Thanksgiving morning service at 845. It usually lasts till a little bit before 10. And it's just a really tender time. We take communion together. We start our our morning out. We know everybody's spread out, but for those who can make it, or, um, it's, a, it's a very tender time to just start out by saying thank you to Jesus. We take communion together and 
and we just turn our hearts into a place of gratitude. Now, having said that, I do want to just sort of address a couple of things at the outset. I mean, there's no way we can uh, not at least acknowledge that this has been a remarkably unsettling week. Uh, I just say, you know, and again, there's a lot of tension, a lot of emotions. Things are riding pretty high right now. A lot of wild things are happening. But, I, you know, for me, at least in part, I was appreciative of the fact that just even seeing the president and the, and the president-elect just being able to, to speak cordially, um, it was actually, it, I thought it helped to temper some things down a bit. You know, having said that, you know, the, the life apps, okay, it was mm, months ago that I said, you know what, we're going to share the life app mm, on this date. I had no idea. I mean, the, the title, right? Living above the bad news. I mean, how did it, how did it? In fact, as we were moving into the week, I said, oh man, I, well, that's a bad app for this week, you know? Because I was going, no matter what happens, someone's going to be mad at me. That was how I was thinking. But it ended up being actually something that I think, you know, regardless of, okay, here's what's really important. I have zero political motivation. There's no angle, there's no subtle thing that I'm trying to say. So if we're looking for that, we're, gonna, we're in the wrong place. Because my purpose, actually, though, I do think this. The principles we're going to look at, the words we're going to look at, can actually be helpful. Not only helpful for processing where things have been, but also for how to move forward into these coming weeks, perhaps months, that, that for some of, I get this, we're not all in the same place. That became apparent to me. Everybody's processing things differently. I will say to you, I've heard from some who are just really afraid. I've heard from others who have different emotions going on. Others are disturbed about what's happening. There's so many different feelings. And I'm, I really believe that there is a way for us to think. And this, this particular message, although now I've, I've, I've had to adapt it because originally I was going to share it in a certain way and some of the things that are on the handout actually speak to that, but sort of had to make some adjustments because part of what, what's just happened this week and what's happening now, I feel like it needs to be it needs to be factored in a little bit. I'm going to say something, though, and that presupposes something. So what I'm about to share presupposes that a person has made an opening in their heart for Jesus and has made a decision to follow in the Jesus way. If that's not where we're at, and I realize that on a given weekend, it's clearly people who come, who I'm so delighted you are coming, that maybe aren't there yet or on your process of exploring or seeking, you're trying to come to a place where you're just beginning to feel faith emerge in your life and you're more open than you've ever been. You're actually beginning to feel the Lord at work, but you're not quite sure if you would identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. But this, mes this, this piece here, I want, to, I want to say, is designed to appeal directly to those of us who would follow the Lord and, I, I, and who have made that the, pri the single dominant priority of our life. That that is the primary theme of our life. That all the other things are built around. Which means that things like the way we think of ourselves, firstly, is as someone who follows in the way of Jesus. That that takes precedent over our ethnic identification, our socioeconomic identification, all the categories that people are being stuck in right now, our gender, um, our political affiliation. That for this is really designed to say, look, when the dominant theme of our life is the way of Jesus, all the other things are secondary. And so what he wrote, what, a passage that I actually found helpful that I want us at least to put out there, and again, just, just to 
drop it in the front end. It's found in, in 1 Timothy, and it's from the second chapter. Paul was writing to believers who were underneath, in their case, a far more extreme form of government. I mean, the Roman Empire was a, <laughs> I mean, it, they were completely subjugated to the empire. There was no question about it. And there was no, the, the things that we take for granted as rights and it didn't exist. The church had to function in a, in a somewhat hostile environment. Every step had some precarious component to it. We know that years later they would be getting killed and, and thrown in, into all kinds of violent situations because of their faith. Paul talked to them about how they were to position themselves. Look what it says. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions. Those, the other version says, the older version says, for those who are in authority, that we may pray this way, that we may live a, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So immediately what we are told is that our core, at our core foundation, as much as we can, we are to be a peaceable people. That the way of the Lord is a peacemaking way. That our, our calling is to be a, a people who try to both pray for the peace of our nation and culture, and at the same time work to represent the peace of God as being peacemakers in the name of Jesus. That means at a time where things are so high, we need to allow the way of Jesus to dominate our life and to seek to be peaceable and to spread the peace of Christ in whatever places we, and in whatever ways we can. That is a calling and a privilege. It also reminds us of how we can go about moving forward. So what I wanna do, I have a, whole, I have a teaching I wanna share and submit. But I'm going to pray and ask God to bless our time because I know no one would be here if you, didn't, if you weren't serious about something with God. There's no way. So, Lord, I want to ask you to right now to come among us and ask that you would just take these words that we're sharing together. Um, I know this is a heated time right now. We get that. But I also believe that we are called to pray for our country. We are, just like we pray for our world, we, to know you. We are called to pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray also for our people. We pray that there, there would be a, a dropping of violence and, and anger. We pray instead for the peace of Christ to come into the places where people are afraid. We ask, Lord, that we also would allow that peace to penetrate our own hearts and in truth commit ourselves to be peacemakers in the circles that we relate to so that we are not escalating things nor being silent when you want us to speak up in ways that are life-giving. So I pray for courage. I pray against the spirit of fear. I welcome your wisdom into this time. And I ask for the blessing of the Lord over it. In Jesus' name, amen, Lord. All right, the Bible says, when it comes to this idea of living above the bad news and staying hopeful and optimistic, it says that, that one of the things that, has, that we all have to be aware of is that although times and tools, technology, where we're, the time that we're living in, although times have changed and tools have changed, one of the things that hasn't changed is the human heart. So no matter how far back we go, no matter how less modern others were, there seems to be this incredible similarity that every generation is characterized by. It has to do with the commonality of the human heart. The truth is that the Bible says that we all have in us, every human being, to differing degrees, has in us both really two things, both the residue of God's goodness, which 
The early church fathers called in the Latin the imago Dei, the image of God, the imprint and stamp of God, and a fallenness of our nature, what the Bible calls a sin-impacted nature, which means that we have the capacity as human beings created in God's image and yet broken. We have the capacity for incredible goodness, kindness, love, creativity, all the things that reflect God, wisdom, compassion. At the same time, we have the capacity for tremendous harm. Human beings can do far worse things than any animal could ever do. We have been embedded with something that creates capacities for both good and evil. And that has characterized humanity for generations. These dual realities, I think, cannot be denied. And that's one of the reasons why, despite everyone's good intentions, we will always be in need of a savior and incapable despite our good intentions of getting everything completely right. This is my point. There will never be a perfect government because the people that make them up are imperfect. Just as, I'm going to break this one to you, there will never be a perfect church because you're in it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I always wanted to say that, right? Did he just insult? Yeah, he insulted us. He insulted us. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying, this is not going to happen. And we, can, and we can imagine things all we want, you know, songwriters, right? Imagine all, right? just saying. We can write, write songs and poems and, and movies about it and, and envision the future where everything's working right. Utopia, utter balance, fairness, justice. Never going to happen in this life. Listen, this is the God alone. There, there, there is no exercise of imagination that will change the heart of a human being. God alone can truly do that. The desire for for a more perfect place. I think the desire for heaven, the desire for utopia, the desire for a perfect world, is actually placed in us. It's the DNA of God that's in us. It longs for home. It's like longing for it. We know there's something. The Bible says he put the eternal in our hearts. Fascinating statement. There's a part of us that has almost like a homing device that longs for more. Longs for the eternal. Longs for something that is not yet, but we long to see it. I I say that because to, to only put our hope in humanity will ultimately lead to disappointment, crippling disappointment. I think about our previous century, because we were talking about this. We were trying to process out, and last night as well, and this whole week I've been working with different people around it. It's like, how do we process what's going on? I said, well, you know, one thing that people remember is that we, man, we, we have had, it just in our own national history, not even talking about the world history, it's our own national history, man, we had some pretty intense times. I mean, you go back just 100 years, right? The last century, I mean, two world wars, you know, we're talking about national upheaval, depression, you know, Jim Crow, Vietnam, cities burning in the 70s. It was crazy, right? Stuff was happening all over the place. I mean, it's wild, long car lines, inflation off the charts, just stuff was happening. People wondering if if the whole entire country was going to disintegrate. So much division. And I said, and you think that's something you go back 100 years before that. And in the 1800s, we had a fissure so severe that brother took up arms against brother. 
And we literally had, what, 600, at a time when our population was so much less, 640,000 soldiers dying in the Civil War? Not to mention the collateral damage of, of the innocents and the maimed? I mean, stunning stuff. And even in the beginning of this century, if you recall, because it's become, to me, the most memorable event of my lifetime, and I think you, you know what it is, when this, when this opened up, this, the 2000s opened up, it was like, who can forget 9-11? It's impossible. The imagery uh, of it. You know, I had literally been in New York with my son one week before. We were standing on Liberty Island. First time in my life, I remember standing on Liberty Island looking at the cityscape, not realizing that, man, a week later, I would have been right in there and just processing it out. When I came back home here to the city, people were fearful, angry, uncertain. And I said, Lord, I can't preach the message I'm about to preach. I don't even know. What do you want me to do? And one of the things we settled into, we said, you know what? One of the way we're going to approach this, I, I remember it vividly. It was like, share around. And then what we did was we shared around the 23rd Psalm, the Great Shepherd Psalm. And it became for us a ballast in a stormy sea. I mean, I, our ship held, was like what steadied us. And I thought, you know what? What a blessing it would be also just to, and I know, I'm not comparing what we're actually walking through right now with 9-11. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that it's the same thing. What I am saying is I think that what we looked at, this passage, I think it can be helpful. I want to talk about living above the bad news. And I want to hopefully get us thinking about this psalm. You know, in it, in the 23rd Psalm, David is writing, right? And a lot of us know it. I remember around 9-11, we just zeroed in on it. We just said, this is going to be our word for our church, our community. We're going to sit there with it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still, calm waters. He restores my soul, my mind that is right now filled with anxious thoughts. He calms my mind. He restores my soul. He leads me to right responses. He leads me in the path of what is right in his eyes. Yea, even though I walk through what? The valley of the shadow of death. Those shadow lands, as C.S. Lewis called them. I will fear no evil. You know, say that with me. Say, I will, I will fear no evil. Come on. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And I'm, Dave was talking about literal enemies, but what are the things that, that, that confront us in this life with God, in our own life, the hard things, the things that are opposing us in our heart as well? You prepare, in the midst of that turmoil, you can cause me to abound. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's like planting the flag, right? This is how I live. You see that? That's power in that. And we just start like planting ourselves right there. Like there are times where, the, there are times and I'm talking again as a follower of Jesus, when things are melting down or chaotic around us, they could be, as we're going to see, not just around us, but there are times where the Lord just wants us to plant ourselves in a word and hold ourselves right there. This is where I will be. This is how I will conduct my heart. This is the word I will claim as my own. So 
let's talk, you know, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, well, there, there's different kinds of bad news, isn't there? So what I want to do is sort of lay out, just real quickly, how I see bad news. I know, it's like, oh, it's so encouraging. I'm going to, I want to do it. I'm going to say that there's a first level of bad news is what I call what maybe some of us have been experiencing right now, I think, at a, at a low level. And that's the external bad news. That's the bad news that happens in our world, in our nation. And usually it doesn't directly affect us, okay? Now, it can affect us in this sense, that there can kind of come a collective anxiety, a low-grade anxiety. Some of us may be affected more profoundly than others, but for the most part, it's not happening to us necessarily directly, but, it, but we feel it. We feel unsettled. We feel people's anger. It, it, it's a, it, it creates angst in us. We are unsettled by it. And so a lot of times stuff can be happening in other places and it, it has an indirect, a vicarious effect on our life just because we're part of something bigger than ourselves, but it's not really directly affecting us. That's level one bad news. Level two bad news is what I'm calling stuff that hits us at a more personal level. It's not indirect. It is direct. Somebody makes a decision, a relational decision, has direct impact on our lives. Could be a friend, a spouse, a son, a daughter, parent. Uh, somebody makes decisions, they affect us. All of a sudden, we're dealing with it. Could be something on our job. It's affecting us. Maybe some of us are afraid we're going to lose our job. Maybe we don't like what, the, what we're sensing. Maybe things are unstable. Maybe we're experiencing that right now. Maybe we're trying to have to repositioning ourselves. Maybe there's something that happens. We've got a, a health setback. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I've got to deal with this thing. Could have something to do with financial stuff. Indirectly, all of a sudden, I'm just trying to barely above, I'm barely keeping my head above water. I go in and now I got hit. Not one, two, three things. I wasn't even expecting it. I'm, I'm hurting right now. That's the stuff. Someone, you know, this happens. I see this happen all the time. Someone we thought we could trust. We thought we knew. And all of a sudden, our world is rocked by the reality that what we thought was true was not true. <clears throat> And we're dealing with the residue of other people's decisions. And that affects our lives. I'm saying there's so many. That's called bad, that's bad news at a, at a personal level. That affects us. And we will have that. And it's hard just to pretend, oh, everything's great when it's not. But the third level of bad news, it's not the external out there. It's not the kind of personal others things affecting me. It's what I call the internal. And the internal bad news may be the hardest news, bad news of all to get past because that starts to define us. That has to do with things like anger, deep resentment, self-loathing, things that are connected to stuff, but it's drawn deep inside of us, shame, guilt, Bitter unforgiveness that's clouding everything about our life, that affects everything. The struggle's so profound, we feel utterly trapped by it. Even though we know Jesus is the freedom giver, we believe in him, there's a part of us that feels so bound up by stuff that we've allowed to penetrate or has penetrated deep within us and is attempting to define us. A loss we didn't want. And it's not just the loss. It's not, remember this, 
what ultimately kills us, and that's a bad word, what ultimately hurts us and defines us is usually not what happens to us or around us, but what happens within us. Jesus said it's in the heart. He's, in a way, you know what he was saying? It's not the act. It's the react. It's not what happens. It's what I let happen in me because of what happened. And the Lord is always going to challenge us to get past that bad news. Because that bad news, once it starts to define, it becomes the story. And that becomes the story of our life for that season. And God's saying, I don't want you to live that way. Now, that's a, this is very important, right? So how, what do I do about that? Because inevitably, we're going to have stuff happen to us, but we, we've got to really watch what happens in us. That's, a, that's why we started this way. That's what we're going to hammer into. Because it's a way of living that can teach us how to rise. So here are a couple of things. How do we live above the bad? This is gonna, initially, you're going to say, well, well, how does that really help me? Well, I, I, I think it will. Let me put it up. First thing I will say about living above the bad news has to do with the fact that one way to begin to do it is to remember that even Jesus was not exempt from bad news. That's a great starting place. Why is it important? Because the fact is that a lot of times we think, well, God doesn't care. God doesn't understand. God doesn't, you know, where are you, God? And I'm going to say God totally understands. He understands betrayal. Listen, listen. As God's son, he chose to share the human condition fully, even to the point of death. In the Older Testament, the prophet Isaiah wrote this concerning the Messiah. In Isaiah 53, 6, he said, All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid on him, laid on him the sin of us all, the iniquity of us all. He becomes the bearer of our curse. And the Lord has laid it on him. If you go to the verse earlier than that, which they're not going to put up, it says that he was, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised and beaten for our iniquities. Wow. In the New Testament, in Hebrews 4, it talks about how Jesus is, one of his roles is as the high priest representing a lost and broken humanity before a holy God. And he says, and for those who have received it, he says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, weaknesses, but, but was at all points tempted as we are, and yet he was without sin. In light of that truth, I mean, this is a power-packed piece of scripture here, because what it's saying is the Lord totally understands how we feel. Not just from the standpoint of creator in a distance, but as someone who understands that Jesus knew betrayal. Jesus knew pain. Jesus knew what it was like to be abandoned and forsaken and to be given the worst of, the, of human evil. It was dispensed on him. He knows that feeling. And the Bible says, yet he was without sin. And, and the thing about it is, it reminds us that we don't have to be dishonest when we come to the Lord. We just need to be real. We throw ourselves at the throne of grace. He'll not deny us. Like, I love this. He says, in light of the fact that he knows us and experience, has understanding of, of struggle and pain and woundedness, he invites us to come to the throne of grace boldly. Like, wow. Ask him for mercy, healing, strength, the grace of healing. I mean, it's, it's such a wonderful invitation. And it's anchored in the fact that the Lord understands. He reminds us that God was not himself exempt from trouble. He does not say that you're, we're going to be exempt from trouble. Then you say, well, what's the point of it then? He doesn't say we're exempt from things. What he says is he will 
always walk with us through things. That he will always be there. The shepherd, if I can say it this way, will walk with us. Every step of the way. And this leads me to the next thing, which is this. Once I remember that he did not exempt himself, we need to remember also that he has not abandoned us to the bad news. He's, on the contrary, God addressed the bad news with devastatingly beautiful effect. I mean, he threw himself into the breach. Who will do it? He set his face like a flint. Steadfast, he moved towards it, paid the price you and I could not pay, brought, literally brought good from evil, the worst of it. Jesus is God's good news in a bad news world. And in Christ, we see goodness overcoming evil. I think it was Pascal who said, God can bring good from evil, but without God, we bring evil out of good. Where human beings have failed, God has succeeded. That's the truth. Through his humility, he created a new alternative to hopelessness. And he made life possible by giving away his life, suffering, setbacks, pain. These unwanted realities of our existence, and listen, they're real, but they're often the very tools that God uses to, to build us, to remind us not only of our need for him, but also of what he can do when we trust him with our wounds and hurts. In this sense, in the same way, because the cross was the great reversal, right? And in the same way that Jesus used evil to bring good, good to all of us, God can take the evil, the bad news of our life, the stuff we would throw off, escape, run from, get rid of, despise. And he can take that stuff and bring good from it. That's part of the reason when we say Jesus is the redeemer, not just because of what he did for our lost humanity, but what he can do in our lives. What we're saying is that God has the ability to restore lost and broken things. And, and the cross, again, is the ultimate testimony of that. God takes the, the ugly and the horrible and he makes it, it into a gift of incomprehensible beauty. And part of what makes it so amazing is because of what he did for humanity. He can do that for us at a personal level. He can take evil, the evil of our life, the hurt of our life, the pain of our life, and he can bring good from it if we let him. Romans 8 says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called or who align themselves with his purpose. That God is able to bring good from the worst. That's what he does. I love that. I, I know none of us want to walk in the shadow lands. Um, what I think about that, I think those are the places that are hard. The valley, to me, yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The valley represents tough times in life. It represents difficulty. Nobody wants to live in the valley. No one wants to be in the valley. Who wants to be in the valley of the shadow of death? You get two choices. You can be on the mountaintop, see everything, enjoy the sun, the vantage point is great, breezy, happy, good, success. Life is ah, working wonderfully. Or the valley, hard, tough, shadows everywhere, paranoia, people ready to jump me. How do I find my way out? Scary. So how many of us go, oh, I can't wait to be in the shadow land, right? Oh, yeah, the valley is where I want to live. I'll never go, oh, Lord, that's where I want to be, in this really bad place. Nobody says that. Oh, yeah, I volunteer. Send me there. 
No way. But you know what God is saying? That sometimes it's in those places in our lives that God shows up in the most extraordinary and amazing way. And I believe that some of the most profound growth that occurs in our lives occurs when we allow the shepherd to walk us through the valley of the shadow of death. And the good that God can bring out of the bad. Listen, I put this the handout. Um, I'm just going to read it. It's one of the quotes. It couldn't cover everything, but this is from the Healing Imagination. Barry, Anna Barry Olenoff wrote this. They said, and sometimes we are the ones who walk through the, it's the bottom page, right-hand column inside. Sometimes we are the ones who walk through the valley that seems overshadowed by the threat of death and loss, whether it's going through the process of a painful divorce, caring for a sick or a dying parent, seeking to help children with learning disabilities or struggling with our own depression, our own self-esteem. Often these real-life problems are accompanied by some form of addiction. It's true. Whether it is addiction to a substance or addiction to an inappropriate self-defeating behavior patterns, we're all capable of falling into these things, you guys. Can we truly believe that our shepherd walks beside us through such straits? Those of us who've already seen some of the perils along the road, this is a great, look at the question and then the answer. Those of us who've already seen some of the perils along the road and called out for help in our desperation have learned that the key is always to ask. The road ahead is difficult. Thank God I do not travel it alone. The shepherd is with us. And that really does lead me into this last piece, which is going to sound so simple. And you're going to go, what? If this is it. Yeah, this is it. This is it. This is the answer to living above the bad news. You want to see it? Here it comes. The best way to live above the bad news is to stay focused on the good news. That's the way. So simple. How do I do it? Oh, man, it's a choice I make. It's a choice we make. I want to focus on the good news, Lord. I can easily, so much stuff all around us swirling about. Bad news outside. There can be bad news inside. How do I, how do I get by it? I focus on the good news. Where it, and that's not, I'm not talking about hide, or you're hiding from reality. I'm not talking about hiding from reality. I'm talking about living in a higher reality. That's a difference. It's not pretending this is not a problem. It's saying that God can bring good from it because that's what he does. And I have Jesus as my proof. That's the good news. Not just of what he did for us, but what he can do in us and through us in this life. It's amazing. Of, what does it mean to focus? You know, I go, oh, how do I do that? Well, one of the, I know this. One of the things I need to do is allow his news, his words to be near to me. We're bombarded all the time with stuff. All the time. Every direction. Right now, a lot of it is really negative. Social media... Uh, that people showing me stuff, I go, I keep wanting, it's just like, that's, that's so bad. Not just what's happening, what people are saying to each other, the kind of vileness, the kind of anger, the kind of vitriol. It's just, it's just garbage. When we allow garbage, to, we're just got garbage all around us. We've got to stay in the good news, Lord. Don't let me be defined by all the bad news around me. Don't let me like, start to give in to that stuff and let that spirit jump on me. That's not the way of the Lord. I want to stay near your word. Your word is life. My words are life. You keep his word near. 
You know, journal out our prayers to God. Stay next to people who are trying to wrestle through things together. Encourage one another in the Lord. Get into a small group. Have a devotional time or a little bit of time devoted to just reading through something, reading through a passage, reading through, get a devotional, a book. Journal out your prayer, right? Write down things. Focus. It goes all the way back to what we opened up with. Right? Weave in good news. And most of all, Choose to be a person who is not allowing ourselves to be settled in to attitudes that do not reflect the goodness of God, especially when things are going wrong. One of the things I've realized is that we can allow adversity to define us, or we can choose to say, Lord, because of you, I am asking you to show me the opportunity in this adversity. That's become a real line of mine. Where is the opportunity in this adversity? Where is it? Lord, show me it. And then give me courage to pursue it, to position myself in a way that you can bring good from it. I know you can because it's what you do. So show me that way. Show me how to see the opportunity in the adversity. What is it you're trying to shape, build, remove, grow, strengthen? Teach me. Help me about who you are, what you can do. This is what I need to know. The bad news is not the final word. The good news is that's who we are. We're good news people. And that's who we're called to be. That means I have to challenge my attitudes, align them, check them, bring them into compliance. Not because I have to, because he's some legalistic judge. No, because it's the way of Jesus that brings life. And as I walk with it, as I walk with the shepherd, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The music will spring out and bless and just sound beautiful. It just opens up before me. Come walk among us, right? I mean, the whole idea is God can do amazing things. And I really, I'll say this. I actually, actually, I actually think he wants to sing a song through us. I think he has a melody for us. I do. What's the song you want me to sing, Lord? Because I know what it isn't. I want to sing your song. Don't let's get locked up. Let's get opened up. Let's pray. All right. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, as we're here, as we're here, you know, you've got some complex times. We're in them. We know it. We get it. It's okay. Um, you'll show us the way. I know how you, I know you've already, I don't mean that just like, just show us. I mean, you have shown and will show. And we're following your steps best as we can. Be a peaceable people. Help us, Lord. Also, help us with the things that are outside, the things that are going on around our lives, infecting our lives, affecting our lives, and the things that are inside of our own hearts. Lord, your way is a way of life. I want to walk in it. Help us. Help us, Lord. I pray. Help us. Don't let us be afraid. Let's be courageous. Peace givers. Peace life bringers. Blessers. Bless our closing minutes. Bless this closing song. You know, I ask this in your name, Lord, our time of giving as well. In Jesus' name, amen, God.